everybody doing? Good? Good to see you tonight. Well, we, uh, we've got a couple of chapters we're going to uh, go through tonight. Light subject matter. Did you all read it? How many, of you, how, many of you, how many of you read it? Okay. How many of you really made an honest attempt to read it? You just opened the book, you looked at it and said, I should read that book. Um, but, uh, hey, I want to tell you um, kind of a cool thing. If you were here Sunday, you know that I talked a little bit about Boys and Girls Club of, uh, of Anaheim and this crazy idea I had, what would it be kind of neat if we uh, could find a way to really minister to them in a, in a greater way than just what we did in doing good with uh, the skateboard park. So I got on the phone with the director of uh, the Boys and Girls Club of Anaheim. Didn't realize how many kids they actually have. They have, uh, during the summer, they're, they're actually uh, ministering to about six to 700 kids a day. So it's pretty amazing. So I said, hey, I'm going to tell you kind of a crazy idea and see what you think. So I said, um, you know, I really think there's, for us, it's probably easier for us to raise money than to raise heart. And he quickly said, yeah, it's easier for us to have heart than money. And so I said, so we might be a pretty good partnership here. And I said, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that if we could find a way to help you get that bus and if we could uh, in the process of all of that, figure out a way to maybe uh, bring however many of those kids or families would want to come, we'd bring them here to Influence Church on Sunday, pick them up, and maybe feed them a breakfast, feed them a dinner, something like that, because a lot of these kids are basically homeless, and they're, um, they're living in apartments. Um, a lot of them, the only meal they get is the meal they get at school. So it's, it's a really, really kind of a tough situation. And I said, what do you think about that? He, and his first comment was, well, you know, I'm a Catholic guy. And I thought, I don't know if that's going to be a good statement or not a good statement. And I said, oh, okay, great. And he said, I think it's a great idea. He said, whatever I can do to help. So we've got him and another one of his leaders coming on Monday or Tuesday. I'm not sure. I didn't check the calendar yet to see when it was. But uh, they're going to come here for lunch, and we're going to sit down and talk about uh, the possibility of doing that. But before I left on Sunday, I had two bus drivers, two people step up and go, hey, I'll drive a bus. A couple of people said, hey, I'll, I'll serve breakfast, you know, and, and it was just kind of neat to see. And then Tammy just told me that um, um, Kelly, you know, Kelly Mortensen, that now she's on this big drive to get another 70 skateboards uh, because they, they're, they're, essentially, we gave them 32 skateboards and they have about 100 kids that rotate through those 100 skateboards at a time. So 100 kids, 100 kids, 100 kids, 32 skateboards. So everybody's waiting, you know. So uh, I just think it's neat to see the body of Christ kind of respond like that. Amen? Amen. So we'll see what happens with, with that one. So God's, uh, God's doing some cool stuff. Um, you know, tonight uh, we're going to be talking from Chapter 7 on the subject of lust. And, uh, you know, lust is an interesting word. Um, you two struggling up there or something? You know, go, struggling, struggling. Um, you know, lust is an interesting word because our connotation of lust is what? What do we attach to lust? Just shout it out. Sex, right? Uh, we don't think about lust having any other implication, right? And yet the Bible says there's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. But do you know that Jesus lusted? Same exact word in the Greek language, Matthew 4 when he was hungry, and it says he was really hungry, okay, because he'd fasted 40 days, 40 nights. 
it says, it uses the word that he, he longed for food or he hungered. He was very hungry. It's the same exact Greek word. So lust doesn't necessarily have an evil connotation to it. It has an intense uh, desire or longing. But when applied in the wrong direction or in culturally, we apply it to that, don't we? When we think, oh, they lusted, we think we immediately attach something to it that is sexual. Okay? And I think in most cases, for most people in America, that is probably where that word really does kind of hit, you know, where it really kind of hits a person because they think in those terms. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. So let's, uh, let me ask you to do a couple things. Just open your Bibles and mark them to Proverbs 7 so you can find it quickly when we get there. But I want to just take you through a couple of verses in Romans. So we're going to start in Romans, Romans chapter 13. By the way, Romans is an amazing book. I don't know if you've ever really kind of taken it in as a whole. But Romans is probably the most complete uh, theological book you're going to see. It really deals with everything. You go into chapter 1, it deals with, uh, you know, people who don't have God. How do they relate to God and what is, what is that whole connection? And it talks about uh, even just this natural world points us to God. Chapter 2, it talks really about man and how he finds God or tries to find God through his own personal conscience, but that is falls short. Chapter 3 really talks about um, that we come to know it by faith. Abraham then in chapter 4 is the illustration of, of how faith is met and brings about righteousness. Uh, chapter 5 of the book of Romans talks about how we're justified by faith. Therefore, we have peace with God through this grace in which we now stand. Chapter 6 is, are we going to continue in sin that grace may abound? So it deals with this issue of because there's a lot of grace, that doesn't mean you should sin to your heart's content. Chapter 7 deals with this whole subject of struggle. Why then do I do the things I don't want to do? I find another law in my members warring against me. Chapter 8 talks about, hey, even when you're in sin, nothing's going to separate you from the love of God. Okay? And it, and it brings us to, to bear on that. Chapter 9 through 11 deals with the nation of Israel, how God deals with the, chapter, the, the nation of Israel. And then chapter 12 begins with the word, therefore. On the basis of how God dealt with Israel, so he deals with you. Therefore, what you ought to do is look at your life like a holy sacrifice unto God. Chapter 13 deals with how we relate to government, how we relate to those kind of things. And really, the rest of the chapter, 14, 15, 16, is kind of some general miscellaneous topics. But if you think about what I just covered, I covered really almost everything you need to know when you think about systematically the Word of God. It's in there. It's amazing. It's an amazing book. We're going to look at chapter 13, verse 14, and it says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, And the Bible oftentimes uses this, the idea of like putting on a garment. You're going to put something on. If you put something on in the morning, what do you have to do? Ladies, help me, right? Because sometimes we put things on two or three times, like, ah, that ain't going to work. What do you have, what's the first step when you go to the closet? Huh? Turn the light on. Good move. Spoken by a true electrician. All right? All right, what else, what else do you do? What do you do? You walk in your closet and you look and you do what? You make a decision. The decision is, what will I wear? Then you put it on. Then you decide, do I like what I have on? I want you to think about the Lord Jesus Christ in those terms. I'm going to put on Christ. I have to, first of all, make a decision. 
I have to position myself in the right place. That is, for in, when we talk about clothes, we go into the closet. I make a decision right there. Okay, what clothes am I going to? Am I going to put on Christ today, or am I going to put on Phil? Am I going to put on Phil? Or am I going to put on something else? Am I going to put on joy? Am I going to put on anger? What am I going to put on today? And I'm going to wear that because the Bible oftentimes talks about righteousness like a robe, right? The robe of righteousness. What was it got Joseph in trouble? Do you remember? It was a robe, right? It was a robe. It was a robe that his father gave him, a robe that, that, that really maybe he kind of used against his brothers in some way, who know, but it, it certainly didn't justify what he got. It says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and when you do that, guess what? Look at the last part. And make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. You see, the best antidote for lust in the, in, the, in the negative sense of the word is what? The Lord Jesus Christ. You put him on. We'll look at it later, Galatians chapter 5. It says, walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know, a lot of people, and I, I talk to people all the time, all, my whole life, we all deal with it on this level, but you try to stop something. You ever notice how when you try to stop something, how hard it is? Because that's just the opposite of the way God says to do it. He says, put on something first, and then it'll take care of itself. So walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. See? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you won't fulfill the lust of the, of the flesh. So what I really have to do is not worry about, gosh, i got to stop doing that. i got to stop thinking that. You know, and all you do is it becomes bigger in your mind. The problem gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Oh, yeah, gosh, I'm such a sinner. I wish I wouldn't do that. Or how about, you know, going back to God with the same sin? I, I don't know why I keep doing that, God. Here I am again. And it's almost like God says, well, just quit coming and just put on the Lord Jesus, and we won't have to have this talk anymore. See how simple that is? It really is simpler than we think. But we have to have the right formula to move into the spirit-led, spirit-filled life that God wants us to have. You know, in, uh, in the book of, uh, what is it, Hosea, he says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of the Word of God. Knowledge of how I operate. You know, if, you, uh, if we were going to do some work on this building, it's kind of interesting, John said to me today, uh, he said, you realize uh, we kind of got one year off there for a minute, but... You know, it's two years ago, basically, this week that we started renovating this building. You know, we got the building. We closed on it. Uh, this was an open loading dock area. That in there was a sorting room for a mail, for the mail department. And, uh, and it was ripping out, doing demolition first. It was just two years ago we just started ripping stuff apart. And then, uh, then we opened our building on December, December 4th, if I remember right. Uh, that morning we had our grand opening, and that night we had the Christmas tree lighting with the city. If that's not enough to drive everybody up the wall, right? Uh, and literally, it was it was kind of funny. I, I got to reminisce for a minute because we had this whole floor, we had it all covered, not out here, but we had it all covered in there with cardboard. And it was like a week before, and we said, "Okay, everybody, show up here. We're going to roll up cardboard." And uh, what a mess that was. And we're going to decorate at the same time. We're going to decorate for Christmas. You know, so it's just fun. But two years ago, just two years ago, that we started and really basically just a little, little bit less than a year and a half ago that we, we've only been in this building a year and a half. And then, uh, then we started on this, phase two, this and the coffee shop's coming pretty quick and the outdoor playground and some other things. So God's really been good to us in, in so many ways. Let's uh, turn back to Romans chapter 7.
Romans chapter 7 is one of those, if you've ever read Romans 7, it'll get you tongue-tied in a heartbeat. I, I really encourage people, do not read Romans 7 out loud. Because Paul starts going back and forth, back and forth, and you go, wait a minute, what's he talking about here? But I think verse 15 kind of distills it down pretty well. He said, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what will I, what, uh, I will do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. See what I mean? Can you get tongue-tied on that one? Let me make it really, let me put it in the fill version. Here's the fill version. Why do I do stupid stuff all the time? I don't even want to do it. Really? I mean, really, isn't that what it's saying? Have you ever said something, thought something, done something, go, why did I do that? Why did I do that? You know? And it could be just something minor. It could be something on a grand scale. But you just go, why did I do that? And if you go down to um, verse 22, he said, I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. Have you ever noticed how your inward man, that's your spirit man, your spirit man loves God rejoices in God, right? But then look what he says here in verse 23. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, warring against the law of my what? What does it say? My mind, okay? Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of what? The law of sin. Two laws operating here, right? Okay? And notice what it says. Why is it that this other law this law of my mind is warring with the law of sin, which is in my members. Now, verse 24 and 25, O wretched man that I am. Paul calls himself a wretched man. He's trying to illustrate something, and if you've heard me talk about this before, uh, forgive me for doing it again, but it's such a great picture. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So a wretched man was a convicted criminal. He had actually committed the crime of murder. That was a wretched man. And in that day, relatives had an opportunity to make a choice on how that person would die once they were found guilty. One is they could follow the natural you know, procedures of, um, of um, hanging them, killing them, putting them on a cross, whatever it was, but they were going to face the death penalty. The other way they could do it is you could say, you know what, I want my relative, I want my family member to get proper revenge. So they would take the body of the person they killed and they would strap them on the back of the convicted criminal. They would put them in a small cell until the decaying body killed the person who was guilty of murder. Paul says, that's me. I'm a wretched man. I'm carrying about a diseased, decaying body. If I don't do something about it, it eventually is going to kill me. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Look at verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with my mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Now, now chapter divisions, you know, were were added later for our convenience. So let's see what happens in verse 1 of chapter 8. There is, therefore, okay, based on what we've just read, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. 
For the law of the Spirit of life is in Christ and has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he, and he condemns sin in the flesh. So he says, okay, I carry around a body of death. It's going to kill me, but wait a minute. There's a new law operating here. There is, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit has set me free from the law of sin and the law of death. Set free. Paul had to take a little bit of time to set that up and to tell us how we're set free. Because when we operate in the life of the Spirit, we don't do the deeds of the flesh, right? The problem is we have a propensity to head in the direction of the flesh, right? Now, the flesh is not the physical being, right? The flesh is your nature, your human nature. We have a tendency to do what is humanly best for ourselves. You know, I like to use the illustration, you know, if right now that, you know, that angry gorilla ran into this room, what do we do? Am I thinking about you or am I trying to get out? I'm not thinking about you. I'm thinking angry gorillas are bad for people. Marlene, you're on your own. I'm sorry, Marlene. I love you, but you know what? You contend for the, the gorilla yourself. You see, because what's in us is that natural drive to survive or to take care of self unless we live the crucified life right? If I live the crucified life, now I think about you before me. I think about God before me. And that's what God, I, I, that's how I want you to, to begin to think when we set this, this talk up tonight, is think about the crucified life. It's really the only answer. I have to die if I'm going to experience the life of God in my daily life. All right, now let's jump into Proverbs chapter 7. Any of you uh, read a chapter of Proverbs a day or have done that in the past? Anybody here? Yeah, it's a great practice, isn't it? Um, I, I call it guilt-free Bible reading. Uh, men love anything without guilt. Um, so I say, how would you like to uh, do some guilt-free Bible reading? They go, what's that? And I go, read a chapter of Proverbs a day. If you miss a day or two days or a week, you don't have to go back and reread it. Just pick up where you remember you see, that encourages what? It encourages me to want to read it because I'm going, I don't want to, I'm guilty, man. I'm so far behind on Proverbs. It's, you know, I read the first proverb and now it's the 28th day of the month, right? Hey, you know what I've done? I've just said I'm committed to read Proverbs, a chapter of Proverbs, the rest of my life. And some days I actually remember. But in the process, I've read it so many times, I probably have 2,000 Proverbs memorized, and I never tried to memorize any of them. Just sheer repetition. I can't even tell you where they tell the address. I don't know where they're found, most of them. But the Spirit of God, what he does, and we're going to talk about this tonight, the Spirit of God, when you lay up Scripture in your heart, the Spirit of God has now a library to pull from and resource when a situation demands a particular subject matter, a particular Scripture, Holy Spirit will pull from that, bring it to your remembrance. And instantly, you're able to respond in a powerful way. And so God wants you to begin to do that so you have that resource in your mind. Okay, let's look at Proverbs chapter 7. And it's, uh, it's a great chapter for um, this particular subject when we're dealing with the matter of lust, particularly as we define it in America and in Proverbs 7. My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. 
It's a pretty good way to set it up, isn't it? So back it up and just don't get in a hurry to read stuff and say, my son, I want you to, let's just imagine it's the father talking to his sons and his daughters. He says, my son or my daughter, would you keep my words? If we stopped right there, we wouldn't have to read any more. Keep my words and treasure my commands within you. So you have to put this in your heart. You have to put this in your mind. Keep my commandments and live. So what's the motivation? Life. It's the motivation is life. And my law as the apple of your eye. Now that's an idiom that most of us understand, the apple of your eye. We don't really hear it a lot anymore. But it's an idiom that we understand. It communicates something. What's really, what catches your eye? What's really special? He says, let the word of God, let my commands, let it be the apple of your eye. Go, if there's anything I want, it's the word of God in my life. Bind them on your fingers. You ever do that? I think the first girl that I had a, I called my girlfriend, I wanted to give her something, right? I mean, I was like seventh grade or something, something silly, right? I don't know how old I was. Maybe I wasn't even seventh grade. Maybe I was fifth grade, right? And I had a piece of yarn. Yarn. You heard me. Yarn. I wasn't the richest boyfriend in the, in the room, right? Had a piece of yarn, and I said something to the effect that would be the equivalent of, you know, will you be my girlfriend? Will we go steady? Whatever. And she, with big eyes, you know, didn't know me very well, big eyes, bright, said, yes. And I had her a piece of yarn. She tied it around her finger. Wore that yarn for two days and broke up with me. That's all right. I didn't really care. I was more interested in my bicycle, played football, baseball, whatever I was doing, right? But what was she doing? She was binding it on her finger, right? She was saying, I want to remember this. This is special. What if you took the Word of God, the commandments of God, and that you bound them in a way that, you know, we look at our hands a lot. You know, someone says that, you know, wristwatches, you know, and, and I, I like wristwatches not necessarily for the time. I just like them. I don't know. I look at my phone for time, right? I just like wristwatches, you know. And, uh, but they, someone has said that, that the average man will look at his wristwatch over 300 times in a day. I don't know if that's true or not, you know, but it, it might be true. Right? So there's something, see, that's a memory aid. And see, there, there are things that you can do to just kind of peak your memory and bring you back to what's important. And that's what he's talking about here. He says, bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. Call understanding your nearest kin, that they may keep you from the immoral woman from the seductress who flatters with her words. Oh, now we understand something about this concept of life. Because he's writing here to this young man, and he says, young man, you know, there's some issues you're going to have to deal with, and you need to be prepared for what's coming. Because if you're not prepared, you're going to get in trouble. Uh, many of you know my friend, uh, Musab Yosef, the Green Prince tells a great story. He said he was uh, speaking in Amsterdam, and he was walking back from where he was speaking to his hotel, and he walked through the red light district of Amsterdam. He said, I didn't even know I was in the red light district. And a woman came up to him, and she said, uh, you know, started out at 100 euros. 
you know, and he's standing there thinking, what is happening here? And, uh, and all of a sudden, you know, okay, 80 euros. And he said, no, no, I'm not interested. 60 euros. No, no, I'm not interested. 40 euros. No, I'm not interested. I really don't. I'm not interested. 20 euros. And she finally said something to the effect, well, how much can you afford? And he said, this was his comment. I loved it. He said, it's not that I can't afford you. You can't afford me because I'm a Christian. That's a pretty good statement. She thought it was all about price, that anything could, could be bought there. But he said, no, it's not about price. It's not about that at all. Let's, go to, uh, let's look a little bit further here into this scripture. Verse 6, for at the, at the window of my house, I looked through my lattice, and I saw among the simple, and I perceived among the youth a young man devoid of understanding. So what's happening here is this guy is getting profiled. Looked out, said, you know, there's something about that guy that I think I can get. I can attract him. Now write down these three words, okay? Ready? Knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Now, the reason those three words are really important because you're going to see that trilogy of words throughout the book of Proverbs. Sometimes all three words will be used in one particular verse. Sometimes they'll be dispersed uh, throughout a chapter. But you will see them, and each one of those words, by the way, if you study a little bit deeper as you go into the Proverbs, you will find each one of those words aligns itself with one member of the Trinity, and it's always the same one. Wisdom will always align itself with the Father. Understanding will align itself with the Spirit and knowledge with the Son. So the, the Son comes, and he gives you knowledge about the Father, but the Spirit of God gives you understanding, but the Father brings wisdom to bear on it all. Now let me show you another way to look at it. Understand, or knowledge is simply facts gained, information. But understanding is a separation and arranging of that information. Wisdom is the application of that understanding for the glory of God. Did you get all that? Say it again. I just made it up. Just kidding. All right. Okay. How can I do that, right? Have you ever said really good things and you go, I don't know what I said? You know, right? Is, did anybody record? No, nobody recorded the really good stuff. Okay, so, so let's start, first of all, with knowledge. Knowledge is simply information, okay? It's gaining facts about something. Understanding is a separation and arrangement of those facts. The separation and arrangement of those facts. Because if you get the facts in the wrong order, they don't work right. If you get half the information, it doesn't work right. Okay? Wisdom is the application of that understanding for the glory of God and really for your good. So, you know, if you think about it, Proverbs begins, right, with the beginning of, of wisdom is what? You remember? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Fools despise knowledge and instruction or wisdom and instruction. Okay? So let's look at it again now. 
he, uh, she looks out. She says, I see a young man devoid of understanding passing along the street near her corner, and he took the path to her house in the twilight in the evening in the black of the dark of night. First mistake here is the guy's out too late. Second one is he's by himself, right? Third thing, he's heading in the wrong direction. I mean, you just this is just everything's wrong about this one here, right? Okay, so he's walking toward evil is really what's happening at night. And what's happening here, it's, he's giving the enemy an opportunity to do something in his life. Now, sometimes when we hear this kind of story, we kind of sort through it and go, well, I don't do that. No, you do something different equally as stupid, right? It may not have as great a consequences. It may not be as serious, but you go, but why am I doing that? And i got to just stop long enough and go, wait a minute, let me go back, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Walk in the Spirit, I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. I've got to have something to help me here because I do stupid stuff, meaning I, meaning human race, okay? So I have to do something. I have to take some very definite steps, okay? Look at verse, uh, verse 10 and 11. And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. So uh, a number of years ago, I, I did graduate school, did seminary in New Orleans. And New Orleans is, if, if you've ever been there, you know it is a party town. And so I had a bunch of guys, uh, most of them were like seniors in high school or in college. And I said, uh, hey, how did you guys like to go down to the Mardi Gras? And we'll do street witnessing in the Mardi Gras. Oh, yeah, we're, we're good, man. They were trained. We talked to them about how to do it. They had no idea. These were boys from Denver. You know, I mean, the worst thing they had seen was, you know, nothing, right? So we show up, uh, and they're all like, yeah, we can't wait. And, and we get there, and uh, pardon me, because I might say something graphic in this process just to describe how bad it was, but we're walking down the street, and there are women on balconies up above us, and they're just raising up the shirt. Hey, boys. I said, you can't keep looking. Put your head down. I mean, like, what? What is going on here? And there was, there was something natural. You see, there was something that, that made that attractive to that young man, right? Otherwise, it wouldn't be a temptation. Now, this is just a total exploitation, right, of, of, of sin in that world. Basically, I knew some New Orleans cops when I was there. Basically, the rule in the, during Mardi Gras is this. You don't arrest anybody unless it's going to hurt somebody. They can do anything they want. You just don't arrest them unless it's going to hurt somebody. That's lawlessness, isn't it not? So anyway, we're in the car. They're in shell shock, right? We got them out there. We got them witnessing. They got... They got everything in the world said to them, done to them. I mean, spit on, you name Anything you can imagine was done, right? We're in the car. They're shell-shocked. Brave men have now become Boy Scouts. They're going, man, this place is bad. We got to get out of here. I said, what happened, guys? You were like ready to charge hell with a water pistol. What happened? Stopped at a light. Here comes on that window, on this window, a harlot. Hey, you guys, you know, and they're proposition. And these guys are like, Okay, put that guy all by himself on a street at night. What happens? Hopefully, hopefully there's enough fear 
of God that turns him away. Okay? So here it says in verse, um, let's just keep going here, verse 11, I think we are. Uh, She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. So there's a characteristic here, loud and rebellious, a description of that woman's personality. We might say that, that lust is brash and defiant. That's just part of what goes along that, along that journey. Um, you notice that there's, uh, that there's this waiting. There's almost a waiting here at every corner. There's a, a catching that happens there at every corner. Let me take you to um, the book of Genesis. Genesis, you remember the story of uh, Cain and Abel? Okay, let's just, in your mind, just go with me there for a minute. So Cain... You know, he's, he's just not happy about Abel, right? Because Abel's offered an acceptable sacrifice. He's offered the firstling of his flock. He's offered a lamb, a type of Christ. He's offered that up. And it's interesting about, about uh, Cain, two things is interesting, because he offered from his produce, right? So he didn't offer a blood sacrifice, so he missed that. But also, something that kind of gets missed in that little story it says in the, I can't remember exactly how it says, but it says uh, given a certain amount of time or over, over time he got around to it. It wasn't a first fruits offering. He got around to it. Maybe he calculated how much he needed, how much he needed to sell, and he said, I, I think I've got something left here. I think I'll give this to God, but I'm going to give him produce. So then he also, he schemes to kill his brother, right, it's premeditated. God comes to him, he says, Cain, why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? So God warns him, Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Why is your countenance fallen? Then he says this, now listen carefully. Sin is lying at the door, and his desire is for you, but you must master him. Sin is never an inanimate object that just kind of floats around the universe. Now, unfortunately, some of the newer translations have turned that he into an it. But really, the battle is not with an it, is it? It's with the enemy. It's the enemy. And we're going to talk a little bit about how does the enemy get thoughts in our head? Because, you know, you know you can come up with some crazy thoughts. You go, well, how'd that get there? You can be, you know, you can literally be walking, praying. Have you ever been praying and all of a sudden some random, stupid, evil thought? You go, where, what? Where'd that come from? The prince of the power of the air. He slipped it into your brain somehow. Now, I don't know exactly how that works, but I know it works because it's not coming from God, and I certainly wasn't focused on it. So it's got to be coming from somewhere else, right? Okay. Um, okay, let's just keep reading. This is pretty good. So um, it says here in, um, in verse 13, So she caught him and kissed him, and with an imprudent face she said to him, I have peace offerings with me. Today I have made my vows. What? She's religious. She's religious. I've made some vows today. I've got peace offerings with me. So I came out to meet you diligently to seek your face, and I have found you. I have spread my bed with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. 
Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. This young guy's going, this sounds pretty good. I wasn't going anywhere. No, my buddies are out tonight. This girl comes, kisses me. I, I kind of like the idea. Why not, right? Um, sin always looks appealing. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, and um, Satan comes and he tempts Adam and Eve. And here's how he tempts Eve. He tempts Eve by showing up in this really, really nasty, ugly kind of a, of a devil costume and, uh, and then says to her, you know, what I want you to really do is just, if you will just follow me, I will destroy your life. Does that sound anything like the Bible you read? No. In fact, it uses a, a word in the Hebrew, it means that he came as a bright, shining one. He came as a sexy man. I mean, seriously, you think a snake is going to appeal to Eve? You think something that's ugly or, or, uh, or, a, or a message that says, I'm going to ruin your life is going to appeal to Eve? See, it, Satan never comes like that, does he? He just comes like, I'm going to give you what you really want. I'm going to give you the best thing possible. My roommate in college always said, uh, he, was always, he said, I'm always praying for my wife. And I said, well, how do you pray? He said, I pray for a righteous fox. Did you hear that? A righteous fox. I want a beautiful girl who loves Jesus. And then he would never date those. They weren't beautiful and they weren't righteous. But I, anyway, that's another subject. Okay, so, uh, all right. <laughs> that's funny. Do I have to give you a prompter here on funny? Thank you very much. Okay, so four people on an airplane, and uh, one's a Boy Scout, one's a, a rocket scientist. And uh, there's a couple of businessmen there, and they're talking, and all of a sudden the plane goes, is getting ready to go down. And, and the pilots already jumped out, co-pilots already jumped out, and they look around, they've only got three parachutes. And so there's four of them there, and uh, uh, the one businessman says, well, you know, I think I deserve it. I, the other guy, I deserve it. And the rocket scientist said, I am a rocket scientist. And I, the future of, of the world depends upon me. And so without even trying to decide who's going to get it, he picked up the bag, put it on his back, and jumped out the plane. The Boy Scout looked around, he said, well, let's put on our parachutes. The guy said, I thought, there was, I thought there was only three. Well, there is. But the rocket scientist just grabbed my backpack and jumped out of the plane. Well, I got a little better laugh. All right. I don't know about delayed laughter. Delayed laughter, just like, I tell it, and then you go, oh, yeah, okay, that might be funny. That might be funny. Okay, um, take your... Um, can you just mark that, that so you can find it again real quick? And let's go back over to the book of Romans. I'm going to show you something in Romans that's really, really cool. Um, by the way, you don't have to learn, the, you don't have to know Greek or take a Greek class to get the benefit of the Greek language. If you'll just write down this link, uh, write down blue letter Bible, blue letter Bible.org. Okay, now what you can do in blueletterbible.org is you can type in, let's say you type in, for example, the book of Romans. You're going to type in Romans 6 and then hit search, and it's going to pull up Romans chapter 6, just the text. Then you move your cursor over to the left there, and it's got a little pop-up, and on one of them it says 
do you want to do the interlinear? Do you want to get the, the Greek language? And you click on that and go yes. And then it'll give you all those Greek words that you don't have a clue what they mean, right? But you put your cursor over that little number and it'll tell you exactly what that word means. If you want a commentary, you can go over to that, again, go over to the verse, put it on there, a little commentary, and it'll give you like 20 different commentaries you can pick from. It's pretty cool, right? Okay, so let me show you the benefit. Uh, and they didn't have all those cool tools when I was taking Greek. I had to slug it out the hard way, okay? I know. I did good in Greek. I did really bad in Hebrew. Uh, if I'd have been a Jew in the wilderness, I couldn't have read a road sign. I'd have wandered forever. What does that say, Eliezer? I don't know. Okay, Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Now, in chapter 5, he's telling us this in verses 20 and, and 21. He says, where, grace did abound, where sin did abound, did grace much more abound. Okay, that's chapter 5, verse 20. So in other words, it doesn't matter how much sin you have, there's always more grace. Isn't that cool? There's always more grace than you have sin. So why don't I just sin to my heart's content because there's plenty of grace? That's what Paul's going to address in chapter 6. Now watch this. I want you to do something, either write it on a piece of paper or underline it in your Bible. I like to personalize my Bible so you can do whatever you want. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Okay, the word sin there, underline it. Make yourself a note, either in your Bible or somewhere where you don't lose it. Okay, sin there is a noun. It's not a verb. It's a noun, not a verb. Now, why is that important? He's not talking about sins you commit. He's talking about your sinful nature. Every time in these first 11 verses he uses the word sin, he uses it as a noun and not a verb. If you deal with the nature, you deal with the problem. I plant an, ap uh, I plant an apple seed. What kind of tree do I get? Apple. Some farmers among us. Okay. Why do I get an apple from an apple seed? Because it has the nature of an apple. Right? So here's what he says. Let me just read verse 1 again, and I'm going to read it. The word, uh, you see that word continue? It's the Greek word meno, M-E-N-O, long O. It means to stay, overstay your welcome. You ever had somebody come to your house, you had a little party, and you said the party was over at 10, they're still there at 1? Okay, they have overstayed their welcome. They have, in this biblical word, they have minnow. They have stayed too long. Okay? Now watch how this, let me just read verse 1 to you by putting a little bit of emphasis on it. What shall we say then? Shall we continue to stay and have a relationship with the sinful nature that God's grace may abound? You see how that opens up that passage? Now watch it when I read the whole thing. Certainly not. How can we who have died to the sinful nature still live there in it any longer? Do you not know that as many of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead uh, by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be united in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of the sinful nature might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to the sinful nature. For he who had died has been freed from the sinful nature. 
Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him, so therefore it no longer has dominion over you. That's the application here. For the death that he died, he died to the, to the sinful nature once for all, but the life he lives, he lives unto God. Here's the key, key verse, verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead unto the sinful nature, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now you say, well, I just got to, I just got to, get control of the sin. No, get, get control of the nature, and you get control of the sin. These are not verbs. These are nouns. See how that makes a difference? You read it that way, it'll really, really open up the passage for you. Okay, so back to Proverbs chapter 7. Let's go back there again, okay? Proverbs chapter 7, basically, if we, can, if we could take this, this Old Testament story here of this of this guy who's, who's de- trying to deal with this temptation, we apply New Testament. I say, I've got to focus in on what? The new nature. I've got to focus on the new nature. Because what? The temptation is too great. Right? He's at night. He's a young guy. Here comes a good-looking gal and says, hey, everything's ready. You go, oh, oh, well, I, I guess. I don't know. What do I do? Okay. Okay, let's read on a little bit. It gets really interesting. Verse, uh, verse 19, for my husband is not at home. Uh-oh. Right now, if we were, this were a movie, you know, the, 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 the music would change, right? There'd be some low tones, you know, da-da, uh-oh, you know, something's going on here. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him. He will come home on, an, on the appointed day. In other words, I know when he's coming home, we're fine. I got everything figured out. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. You know what the word seduce means? It means to, um, it means to basically arouse a desire that you cannot righteously fulfill. Immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter. Well, that's pretty, that's pretty graphic. A dumb ox is walking in going, would you please kill me? It's really what's happening here, right? Or, if that's not, if that's not clear enough, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. Remember stocks? You remember what those are? Put your hands, put your head in there. So I was in, uh, we were in, in uh, Romania in 1990. And we went, hottest place in the world, we went in August. It was awful. That's enough right there to try to run from communism. But anyway, we were, we were in Romania, and we went in this, the most beautiful church I've ever seen, honestly. It was all completely wood. It was several hundred years old. Everything was intricately carved. I mean, it was just on the outside, the inside. It was amazing. I wish I had pictures. I don't even know what I did with them. But anyway, go in there. And, and, you know, here's the pews. They're all beautiful and all of that. And I look over in the front, and there's a stock. You know, like put your head in, put your hands in, stock. And so I say to the, to the Romanian, I say, you know, the translator, I said, what's the deal with the stock? Oh, oh, that is, uh, um, and he's trying to get the right word for it, that is how we have church discipline. 
So if you do something wrong, your punishment is during the sermon, they put you in the stock, and you have to sit there like, like the idiot while the guy preaches, and you hope he doesn't preach too long. That's why church attendance went down right there, right? A day in the stock, God, you know, that guy, what he did, I did some 10 times, but I'm not coming to church anymore. Okay. So anyway, I thought that was kind of an interesting piece of equipment in a church. Um, okay, let's go on a little bit further here. Just read a little bit deeper into this. Immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter as a fool to the correction of the, of, of the stocks till an arrow st- struck his liver. I guess that's a particularly bad place to get an arrow. I don't, I don't really know much about the liver. But um, as a bird hastens to the snare. Okay, now that's a little bit. Okay, so a bird sees a snare and he goes, I'm going in the snare. And it says, he did not know that it would cost him his life. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. What? Isn't that interesting? They weren't weak men. Because, you see, you might be tempted to read it and say, Oh, yeah, well, that guy's an idiot. Of course he does stupid stuff. Isn't that interesting? The Hebrew here in strong men doesn't mean of physical strength. It means of character, of integrity, of influence. Her house is the way to hell. Descending to the chambers of death. How could you get a more graphic picture? I mean, chapter 7 is really an amazing chapter, is it not? I mean, Proverbs is amazing. Bible's amazing. You know, what's your favorite verse in the Bible? The one I'm reading. I mean, it's just like amazing, amazing stuff. Um, let's just take a quick journey over to 1 Corinthians. Can we do that? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter six. Um, verse nine. Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Kind of makes sense, right? Okay, and then he begins to give you a list here, and this is really interesting because you know you can you can read this and you see people get nervous. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators. Now, fornication is sex outside of marriage, and and you're not having sex with, so you're not married, but you're having sex outside of marriage. That's fornication, okay? So fornication is one. Idolaters, adulterers. Okay, now this is sex with someone besides your spouse. Nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous. Now, you... Maybe most of you made it this far within the covetousness gotcha. Not drunkards. Yeah, I've done that once or twice. Not revilers. Extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, let's just stop now. Not a good list. Not the list you put on your resume. Right? And if you read that and you don't read it with understanding, 
and wisdom, you will assume what? If I ever was, let's just use the word covetous. If I was ever coveted something somebody had, I don't get to go to heaven, right? Wouldn't that be kind of the logical conclusion here? Okay. But remember, whenever you read the Bible, you want to read it within the, the parameter of the whole Bible and not just that. And you never want to build a doctrine on one verse of Scripture. He's talking here about patterns of your life. He's talking about something that, you know, has not been forgiven at all. And we know that by going to the next verse, which is always helpful. And such were some of you. Okay, so Paul's saying to the Corinthians, hey, you know, some of you were adulterers and fornicators and idolaters, and, and that was the pattern of your life. Some of you were homosexuals. Some of you were sodomites. Some of you were thieves and covetous. Some of you were drunkards and revilers and extortioners. But, but you know, but you're, you were that. You're not that anymore. So what's the implication here? I can't let that be the pattern of my life and truly know God. That's what it's really saying. It's saying if that's characteristic of my life, have I really ever been saved? Now, does that mean that, let's say that, that one of those characteristics were part of your life before you came to faith in Christ. Does that mean you're not going to struggle with those things? Of course you are. You're going to struggle with the areas of your weakness. Every one of us here. Nobody here is better than anybody else. Let me tell you what the big brand that God put on us in the Word of God. Guilty. Right? Everybody guilty. Everybody falls short of the glory of God. There's no unrighteous. There's no, not anybody more righteous. You say, well, I didn't do those things. No, you did some other stuff. Right? Sometimes Paul will kind of sum it up like this. And things like this. In case it missed your list. There might be and things like that too, right? Okay? And it says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified. Isn't that interesting? I love those three words. I was washed, okay? So I was made clean, sanctified. I was set apart for a holy purpose, justified, just as if I never sinned. That's what easy way to remember justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus, by the Spirit of God. Okay? So... Remember, we're, we're, we're trying to understand what he's trying to do here. He's trying to say, you've got to be a different kind of a person. You've got to be different. If you sin, what do you do? Yeah, you ask for forgiveness. You don't let that be the pattern of your life. Proverbs says in one place, which I can't tell you the verse, because remember I didn't memorize them this way, a righteous man falls seven times and rises again. I love that. Righteous man falls seven times. It's not that a righteous man won't fall. He falls seven times. You know what seven is? Number of completion. In other words, he's doing, he's doing his fair share of it, but he rises again. But the wicked fall in the day of calamity. They don't rise again. I don't care. Righteous man cares. Righteous woman cares. Okay? Don't you love that? Good stuff, huh? Okay. Oh, what time is it? Wow, you guys are listening slow tonight. Uh, let's go to Galatians 5. Galatians 5. Is this good? Is this helpful or not? You're not hating it yet? Don't be a hater. Okay, Galatians 5. You ever get confused on Galatians and Ephesians, Philippians, and what order they're in? No? You got a little, you got a little secret? General Electric Power Company. 
Girls eat potato chips. I would never remember that one. Okay, that's a good one, though. You know, and uh, how many of you memorized the books of the, of the New Testament with the, with the little song? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts 2, no? Okay, well, I memorized the Old Testament to a clap song. It's like, so the only way I can really get them, make sure I get them right, is I have to clap. And it's really embarrassing when you're preaching. Okay, let's turn to the book of Hosea. Hold, what, what's, Okay, so anyway, you should, you should find better memory aids than that, amen? That's not the best way to remember something. Okay, Galatians 5. Galatians is a, is a great book. Um, you know, Galatians deals with this matter of, um, of the law supplanting, okay, faith or grace, taking the place of that. And I love over in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Oh, foolish Galatians. By the way, the word foolish in the Greek is where we get our word moron. Oh, morons. Morono is is the Greek word. Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Who cast a spell on you? Is what he's saying. That you should not obey the truth. When I don't obey the truth, he's telling me something here in this verse. You know what he's telling me? There is a spiritual dimension here. This is not about this is not about your self-will. Who hath bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified? Who who pushed you so that you don't obey the truth? Verse 2, this thing I want to learn from you, did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of the of faith? How did you, in other words, how did you get right with God? Did you do it by being a good person? Or did you do it by the Holy Spirit of God? By the Spirit of God, amen? Okay. Having begun, verse 3, are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect in the flesh? Now, here's what happens. Let me show you the typical way, uh, process a person happens. They, get, they find Jesus Christ, right? They get saved, and we teach them all about grace. Then six months later, we forgot grace, and we try to make them to live by the law. Oh, you did that? I can't believe you did that. You're a Christian, aren't you? Christians don't do that. What is that? That's the opposite of grace, isn't it? See? I like to use this illustration. Let's just suppose we'll use Jen as our, our illustration here tonight. Let's suppose I run into Jen. I go, Jen, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. Have you, have you read your Bible? Today? She, oh, no, I haven't read it today. Really, Jen? I thought you were a Christian. You haven't read your Bible? Now, how does Jen feel? Horrible, right? I mean, she, what is she going to do next time she sees me? Take off. What if I go up to her? Now, new scenario. Now, let's do grace. Hey, Jen, how you doing today? Good, good. Hey, I don't know about you. I've been reading the book of Ezekiel. Man, there's some crazy stuff in there. There's spinning wheels and visions. And, man, I, that dude was on some mushrooms or something. I don't know what was going on in his life. Man, I'm telling you what, I can't wait to finish it. Hey, have a great day, Jen. Now what does Jen want to do? He wants to read Ezekiel. Because, see, what did I do? I, I operated in a context of grace Instead of trying to hold her accountable to, did you read your Bible? Because good Christians read their Bible. Now, let me tell you something. Bad Christians read their Bible too. Right? Should you read your Bible every day? Absolutely. Should put it, make it a part of your life. 
But we gotta we gotta know what motivates us and motivates others to stay in this book. So he says, Hey, you didn't are you that foolish to think you began in the spirit and you're now gonna be made perfect in the flesh? Okay, now go over to chapter five. Chapter five, and let's look at uh, um, let's look at verse sixteen. Walk in the spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Sound familiar? For the flesh lusts against the spirit. Oh, that's what Paul was talking about in Romans 7, right? So in your Bible, if you want to kind of customize your Bible, just write Romans 7 in there. That way, this is how I learned, this is how I learned how to connect Bible verses. I made my own Bible, cross-references. Put it in there. I go there. Now I go, oh, and I'm up teaching. I go, hey, by the way, I don't know if you've ever read this, but it says over in Romans chapter 7. And then over in Romans chapter 7, I put Galatians chapter 5. See what I'm doing? I'm helping Phil. Phil looks smarter than Phil is when he does that. Okay? So it says here, um, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. So remember this word lust is not necessarily an evil word, right? Because it says the spirit's lusting. This, you know what the Spirit's saying? He's saying, Mary, I want a relationship with you. I want you to walk in the fullness. I want to speak to you. I want to open up Scripture to you. I'm lusting for that kind of relationship. Isn't that cool? And the flesh is going, Mary, I just want you to just get away from the Spirit of God. Get away from God. I want you to come over here. You know, it's a lot more fun over here. And the flesh is lusting. You're battling. You're doing battle with this whole thing, right? Okay, got that mental picture? But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What if I'm not led by the Spirit? Then I live under the law. If I don't live in the Spirit, I can live under the law. If I'm not filled and walking in the Spirit, what am I walking in? Flesh. Two classifications of Christians, what are they? Spirit-filled and non-spirit-filled. Huh? What did you say? What? Oh. <laughs> You're a basic man. I like that, Mike. That's good. Okay. So there's carnal and spiritually minded, right? Carnal and spiritually minded. Have you ever noticed how you don't want to, if you're not really walking the spirit, have you ever noticed how you don't want to really be considered carnal? Or backslidden, you kind of want a third category. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good with the Lord. Doing, I, I'm doing, let me say it in Louisiana. I'm doing pretty good with the Lord. Does that help you? Yeah, with the Lord, sister. I'm talking, yeah, with the Lord. <laughs> I had more fun. I taught in a black seminary. It was all black. Everybody there was African-American. It was awesome. And I got to where I could, I, could, I could do everything they did. I could speak like, in fact, when I, when they, when I left there, they gave me a pair of uh, socks. Now, I know this doesn't seem interesting to you, but they gave me a pair of dress socks. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but the kind of dress socks that a black preacher wears are not the kind of dress socks that a white preacher wears. Because they're like hose. I mean, you can like see through them, which is fine if your skin's black. But if you've got a white, hairy leg, it looks nasty. I'm talking nasty, right? 
and they gave me these. They thought it was the greatest honor in the world. That was my class gave me a pair of those, those socks, and they went all the way up to my knees, you know. Uh, probably, you know, they were long-legged guys, so, you know, probably didn't go that far on them, but it was just, it was just hilarious, you know. And uh, some of these, these guys would get up, and, and did I tell you about this, some of these sermons? So this guy, so I had this one class on preaching. I mean, I'm trying to teach a black man how to preach. Are you kidding me? They can pray better I can preach. So anyway, the, the guy comes up there, and they all had suits on and came in, and he had his Bible, and he, he just dropped it open. He started preaching. And I'm thinking, wow, this sounds pretty good. And I said, um, I know you didn't use any notes or anything. You did a great job, but can you tell me about that? He says, where it falls is where I preach. Where it falls is where I preach. I said, have you noticed that you preach a lot of sermons out of the book of Psalms? He said, I have. Why do you think that is? I said, because it's the middle of your Bible. <laughs> right? It just falling open to Psalms a lot. So then uh, this other guy get up, and, and he says, uh, uh, he says uh, today I was going to talk about uh, uh, pig leg religion. Pig leg religion. I thought, oh, this is going to be good. He said, pig leg religion, he says, it's that, that's where you get up in the morning and you strap on your pig leg. You hopper, hobble around all day long. Then you take it off at night so you can do what you want to do. Pretty good, Right? Pretty good. I mean, it's a pretty good illustration. My favorite one was Them Dogs. I told you Them Dogs one last time, right? Them Dogs. But my all-time favorite, which I did not teach him, but I knew him, was uh, S.M. Lockridge. Have you heard of S.M. Lockridge? Shadrach, Meshach, Lockridge. Yeah, and uh, when he's preaching, he said, somebody said, well, what, uh, what, is, uh, what, is, what is S.M. Lockridge? And it was Shadrach, Meshach. He said, what happened about, about Abednego? He said, well, my mama didn't like it because it sounded like Shadrach, Meshach was a bad Negro. He said, when our house burned down, they called me Shadrach Noshak. <laughs> That's good. He says, uh, and, but he's got a famous sermon called uh, The Lordship of Christ. Have you heard this one? His lordship is based on his ownership. He did not have to put his signature in the sunset, for he owns it. He did not have to put a laundry mark on the, on the, on the hills because he owns them. He did not have to put a patent on the songs the birds sing, for he owns them. Yes, I want you to know his lordship is based on his ownership. All through the ages, men have been trying to reject him and ignore him. They tried to burn him, but he refused to burn. They tried to drown him, but he walked on the water. They tried to destroy him with the field of an empire, but he broke it. They try to destroy him by ignoring and rejecting him. But before you know it, you'll hear a still small voice that says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I'm telling you, he's like honey to the bee. He like oats to the horse. He's Lord. Oh, yes, he is. He's Lord. Pretty good, huh? Yeah. Okay, one more story. So I had this, uh, had this guy that was an African-American guy in my church, and, and uh, he, this is how I keep you awake through boring moments of my life. But, um, but he, he always said to me, he says, now, preacher, he says, when I die, I want you to do my funeral. I said, okay, that's great. This might seem unusual to you coming from South Africa, but this is just the way it works around here. So anyway, so I said, so the, anyway, the guy dies. I get a call, going to do the funeral. Have I told this story? 
Okay. I get a call. I'm going to do the funeral. I said, yeah, I'll be glad to do it. I said, what time does it start? It starts at 6.30 at night. Now, typically, our funerals are, you know, like during the day, okay? I didn't know this was going to be like a social event, all right? The funeral was a social event. So I get there, and I mean, it is packed full. People are there. There are cars out there with spinners on You know what spinners are on their wheels? Every car's got spinners on it. I mean, it's hilarious, right? Got, got fur on the dashboard. It was it was classic, classic inner city Columbus, Ohio, okay? So I get there, and, you know, I'm in my little, I don't know what I've got, like a Honda or something embarrassing. And uh, so I'm, I'm there in my little Honda. I go in, and it's packed full. And uh, they put me on the stage, and there's like four other preachers sitting there. And then these two women get up, and they start to sing. And, they, I mean, they are good. And they're swaying, and everybody's swaying. And, I mean, it's... It, it's just we're sweating like hogs in there. I mean, it's just like, you know, like you got to be kidding me. So the, so the sisters get up and sing. Then the preacher gets up and he preaches for like 30 minutes. And I'm thinking, what? Because they told me I was going to preach. I thought, and I'm counting them up. He's the guy's first, and I'm like number four. I'm thinking, I'm number four preacher. I figured it out. I'm number four. So the sisters get up. They sing again. You know, we're sweating again. Everybody's swaying in this thing, you know. And remember, now, now it's like 730. It's 7.30. I, they haven't even got number two guy up yet. Number two guy gets up. He preaches 30 minutes. Okay? He gets up. Oh, can you imagine if Jared would be there? I mean, Jared would get up for like nine hours and preach. Right? So then the sisters get back up again. They do a couple of more songs. We're sweating again. We're swaying again. Number three guy gets up. He preaches 30 minutes. It's like 9 o'clock. Right? We've been going two and a half hours. I haven't even got to speak yet. And I'm his pastor right? Sisters get up. They sing. We sweat. We sway. You know, it's my turn. I get up. I'm feeling sorry for the, for, for the people. You know, it's like 9.15, 9.30, and I'm up getting ready to talk. I'm, I'm feeling sorry, so I preach like 20 minutes. Get done. The guy rushes over to me and goes, oh, what's wrong? Are you okay? I go, yeah, I'm fine. What? Well, you're the keynote. I said, oh, the keynote. I'm the keynote speaker. I go, what does that mean? He goes, oh, the keynote always goes an hour. I thought you might be sick. This thing was going to go to 11. It was going to 11 o'clock. So anyway, but I've had a lot of fun with that. Well, I, I was done. Amen. It was over. I was just in trouble. I didn't know. It wasn't like, you know, hey, hey, break, keep him going. You got another point? It's, you know, you really do get in some funny situations. I preached in the um, rainforest in Brazil one time. They took us out into a tribe. I was preaching, doing crusades in um, um, Rio and Belo Horizonte and some of those areas, and then we went way out into the, in the rainforest, and we came to this tribe. Supposedly, you know, every tribe, no one's ever seen a white man before, you know, but here I am. I'm a super white guy, you know, showing up. Here's the big white guy, and, and so um, I preach, and there was an argument ensuing there, or I wanted to take some pictures. And so some argument was ensuing with the, the translator, you know, and the guy, and he was trying to tell, the chief was trying to tell him to go put on the native costume. Well, I didn't know the native costume was basically feathers. You know, it was like, and the guy didn't, he had modesty. I thought, isn't that interesting? He had modesty with me, but typically if I wasn't there, modesty would not exist. Isn't that interesting? So you see, because in Romans chapter 1, it talks about there is an innate knowledge of God. 
that which might be known about God has been revealed within them. See, God has put something in us that, that ha- we have a, a sense that there is a God, and there is a sense of right and wrong that is within us. Mankind calls it a conscience. Okay? But you see, there's something in there. So anyway, uh, he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do the feather routine, which I didn't want anyway. I'm going to take back a bunch of nudie pictures, you know. Look at the dudes in feathers. This is cool, huh? So anyway, um, I got up and I started preaching. And it, was in, uh, it wasn't in Portuguese. It was in uh, the, the native language of like a Guadanese, I think it was. And uh, preached to this. And um, the, the, the um, chief had told the interpreter that he wanted to hear from this because he had a dream about a man with a black book coming to speak to them. Isn't that interesting? And so uh, when, I, when I got ready to speak, I pulled my Bible out, and it was actually a black Bible, right? Like, just like this one. I pulled it out, and the chief pointed, and he said, that's the Bible. That's the Bible. And I preached, and literally the entire tribe came to faith in Christ that night. The entire tribe. The entire tribe. Every one of them. And they were, they get excited. They're not like a bunch of white people from Anaheim. I mean, they get excited. They're like, yeah, jumping, you know, this is awesome. You know, they're screaming, whatever they're screaming. I don't know what they're saying, but it was, it was pretty cool stuff. Okay, uh, let's go to, um, gosh, I'm almost out of time here. Let me see if I can find any other good stuff in here. Um, Go to Romans chapter 1. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. This is a good principle for us to learn uh, in Scripture. I mean, did I say Romans? James, I'm sorry, James. It, It came out wrong. Started right, it ended wrong. It happens happens. James 1, and let the Holy Spirit lead you to the right verse. Verses 14 and 15. No, no, let's go back to uh, um, verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptations. I call your attention to the word endures. Blessed is the man who endures. Oh, my gosh, you mean it's work? Absolutely. I mean, we we think about the word endurance. Do you have endurance? Do you have endurance? You endure temptation. It's going to come at you all the time. Blessed is is the man, blessed is the woman who endures temptations, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. Oh, there is a crown specifically given in eternity, for those who simply endure temptation. Pretty cool, huh? I mean, think about that. Because it's such a big deal. See, God knows who we are. God knows our natural bent. He knows our frame. He knows our weakness. And he says, you know what? When you endure temptation, there's a special crown for that. Just for saying no. I think that's pretty amazing. which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, nor does he himself tempt anyone, but each one, and here's what I want you to see, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So how do I get tempted sometimes? It says here, I'm drawn away by my own desires. Then I'm enticed. 
So first there is this drawing away. Then there is this enticement that comes in. Then when desire has conceived. Now just think about this like a baby, okay? Think about it. So what happens is husband and wife say, let's start having, try to have a child, okay? So they go through that process to try to have a child, all right, which we all know what that is. All right, and all of a sudden what happens is it, that, that seed connects with the egg, right? And what does it start to do? It starts to grow. Now, now picture that here. Look what it says. Um, it says, but he is drawn away by his own and enticed. And then when desire has conceived, see it there? So conception comes here, and it says here, and then when conceived, it gives birth to sin. That's a heck of a baby. What'd you give birth to? Sin. Just a little bundle of sin. Right? That's what I did. And it wasn't easy. I had to go through the pain of delivery. Sin does that. There's a pain in delivery. There's, there's a time where that, where that sin is incubating, right? It's growing inside of you. It's growing, right? And it says here, when it's conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Now imagine this. Here's a baby. Here's my little bundle of sin. But when it's an adult, it's just going to give me death. That's the end result. That's a good picture, isn't it? Good picture in our mind. Do not be deceived, my brethren. Do not be deceived. Isn't it funny? That's thrown right there at the end of that. In other words, this is an easy way to be deceived. <clears throat> verse 17, I love this, this verse here. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Do you remember when uh, Ian McCormick was talking, he said that the most amazing thing about the light in heaven was there were no shadows. Isn't that interesting? We, we can't hardly conceive of light without a shadow unless we've got light in every direction. Okay. Just an interesting kind of an idea there. Um, okay, I gave you a handout. Let's have a little fun, okay? Have a little fun. May I borrow yours for just one second? Okay. All right, so take this one called Spiritual Strongholds. Anybody not get one of these? Everybody got one? Okay, so at the top is the Scripture. We've looked at it before, the one about, you know, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, but the weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. Who is Paul writing to in the Corinthians? Christians or non-Christians? Christians or non-Christians? Try it again. Who's he writing to? Christians or non-Christians? Christians, and it's the church that's at Corinth, right? Okay. Now, here's what he says. You can have a stronghold as a Christian. Okay? Casting down imaginations, where imaginations take place? In our mind, okay? Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge, where does knowledge take place? In my mind. And bringing every thought, where is that? My mind, into captivity of Christ. So who is controlling your imagination, your knowledge, and your thoughts? Okay. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to give you a bit of a strategy to do, to do two things. Number one, a strategy for breaking strongholds, and then a strategy for identifying potential strongholds. Okay? Now, if you turn that over, 
on the back side is some potential strongholds. I told you about this um, once before, and I said, I was doing really good. I got down through, you know, a bunch of these, and I was doing pretty well, and then I hit, hit one. I go, well, that's it. I could justify anything. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take, and uh, you don't have to show this to anybody. I know your neighbor's going to be looking on really hard. to see. Oh, yeah, you had that. Oh, my gosh. You have that sin. I didn't know that. Okay, so let, let's just do this. So let's try, to, let's try to limit this. Let's just try to say, try to limit it to like the top three. Okay? Just to make this go a little bit quicker. And I'm going to put you on a really fast kind of time frame to do this so that you don't overthink it. So just kind of go down through each one of those lists there. And if, if in that first list, that first column, you'd look down through there and you say, yeah, that's a potential one. Maybe just put an X by, you know, one or two that you think might be potential in each one of those columns, okay? So, for example, you might say, well, you know, um, impatient. Is that, a, is that a stronghold, though, or is that just something that happens to you periodically? Um, depression. Well, I, I was down last week, but is that, is that typically something that the enemy gets a hold of and it's, he's, he's controlling you? Okay? So just take a minute here, and we'll, we're just going to let you look at it. Try to circle uh, three of the top ones you think kind of hit you. Don't overthink them. Just kind of just hitting you pretty fast, okay? Need that music going. Dun 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 dun. dun. However it goes. Okay, you got it? Okay. Now, I'm not going to ask you to volunteer because uh, that's not important that we know that. It's only important that you kind of start to identify it. So now turn over to the front page, and let's look at this little strategy. Strategy number one is recognition. Can I find something here um, that typically trips me up a lot? And I pray, and I say, God, is this, is this potentially a stronghold in my life? This is something that keeps tripping me up over and over again. It's what Hebrews calls a besetting sin. It's always the same thing that trips me up, always the same thing. Or it's the same two or three things trip me up. You're better off to say, this is a potential stronghold. Let me just attack it that way, even if it's not a stronghold in your life, because you're not going to do yourself any harm, Right? So what you're going to do is say, okay, I want to start with recognition. I want to go to authority next. I have authority to stand against the enemy in this particular case. And what I want to do is I want to ask specifically for God to demolish that stronghold in my life. So I might do it something like this. 
let me just pick one here. Let's just say that a stronghold in my life was low self-worth, okay? So what I would do is I'd say, you know, Father, I, I've gone through this exercise and I've identified low self-worth as a potential stronghold in my life, that I live a lot of my life feeling unworthy. I feel like I don't measure up. And God, I believe that's more than just a product of being human because it's too much a part of my life. I believe the enemy has come in and he's created a stronghold. And, and would you show, if there's anything you can show me in my past that might be indicative of that, would you do that? And then God might just take you back to an early memory, maybe as a child when, you know, you weren't thought highly of by your parents or by your friends or, or you failed at something. And it's just kind of like that little highlight comes to your mind. God, I, I'm going back in my mind, and I believe that could have been a point of origin, at least one. God, I just want to, I want to take a moment right now. I want to invite you, Jesus, to be with me in that situation. I want to relive that situation for a moment. Okay? I'm going to relive that situation for a moment. Now, I'm going to give you a real-life story. I just, I, I didn't, wasn't going to do this, but one came to my mind, and I want to do this. I'm going to give you a real-life story of what I believe was a stronghold in my life. My mom was one of the funniest people in the world. But she didn't know the difference between what was funny and what hurt you. And she never intended to be hurtful, but she was. Okay? And if she wasn't so dang funny, you wouldn't laugh at it. You'd cry about it. So I remember I was, I don't know how old I was. I wasn't very old. I couldn't have been more than third grade, maybe fourth grade. And my mom takes me down to a store called Sears. Y'all know Sears? Okay. She shopped at the best stores always. She took me down to Sears, and she took me there for a reason. She took me to Sears because they had uh, a size jean called Husky. Husky was, made, was a nice way of saying, your kid's fat. It really was. It's really what it was. It was a marketing tool to say, your kid is Husky. Okay? Now, I was fat. Okay, and I was. I was a fat little kid, okay? So anyway, mom takes me down there. She go, she's going to get me some husky jeans. She's had the discussion on the way down. We're going to get you jeans. We're going to get you some huskies. I know what husky is. I'm not stupid. I'm third or fourth grade. I know what a husky is. All the husky pants at my, at my school, they were fat kids like me, okay? So I go in there, and, uh, and the first thing my mom says is this to the, to the gal working there. She said, may I help you? Yes. And I can remember this as if it happened yesterday. Yes, I need to get some husky jeans for my son because he's fat. I was so embarrassed. I was so devastated that I took off and I hid in one of those circular clothes racks to the point where my mom had to drag me out of there. Okay, now, I ended up with the husky jeans. Life went on. Mom and I never had a discussion, never had a discussion about that day, never. And she's not alive now, but we never had that discussion. Okay. Now, whatever that translates out as an adult, it was a starting point. It was an open door that the enemy could use to shame me, to embarrass me, to make me feel inadequate, right? 
So not too long ago, I was thinking about that situation. And for some reason, the Holy Spirit took me back to that moment, and I said, I've got to fix that. I can't talk to my mom. She's gone. I've got to fix it for Phil. All right? So here's how I did it. I went back, I went back to Sears, and I asked Jesus to be there with me. I said, Jesus, would you just stand here with me? Because I need to say something to my mom, and I'm afraid to say it to my mom. Because I saw myself as a little third or fourth grade kid. I'm standing there, and um, Jesus said, go ahead. I'm right here with you. Go ahead and tell your mother what you want to tell her. And I said, Mom, you know, when you said that you wanted to get me husky jeans and you told the, the lady working here that I was fat, it really hurt me deeply. It really bothered me, really deeply. But, Mom, I forgive you. Now, right there, now you just stop. Okay, if, if I'm walking a model through, I want, you to, I want you to figure out how to do this, okay? So what I did was I just stopped right there, and I said, um, Jesus, would you tell me how my mom feels right now? Would you just speak to me and tell me how my mom feels? And I just waited a minute, and I just closed my eyes, and it was just as clear as a bell, and Jesus spoke to me, and he said, What's your mom say? And I said, my mom said, she's sorry, but that's how she feels. That's how she felt as a little girl. Rejected and overweight. And then I heard my mom say, I, I, please forgive me. Okay, now, I learned something through that process, but I had to go to the next step. Because I realized that was an open door that the enemy used as a little child to begin a pattern that would continue through my whole lifetime. Right? And so here's what I did. I recognized it. For me, this is how I had to approach it. I couldn't approach it simply as my mom said something that wasn't beneficial. I couldn't approach it that way because it was deeper than that. It was, it, was, it was a wound inside of me, right? It was a soul wound. So here's what I did. I identified it as a spirit of shame in my life. An enemy, a demonic spirit that had taken that situation, an innocent little boy, and had attacked him. So here's what I did. I took my authority as a child of God. I spoke directly to the spirit of shame. Okay? Now, you might have a, a better way of doing this than me. This is the only way I knew how to handle it. Okay? And I've repeated this pattern in my life in many ways, and it's always been very, very helpful. And I started, I just said, Jesus, I just want to praise you. Always, always whenever you're going to do any kind of warfare on this level, you always want to begin with praise. Okay? Just pray, I praise you, God. I want to give you thanks. I want to give you glory. I want to honor you. Just call down on you, God, to fill me right now. In the name of Jesus Christ, as a child of the living God, I speak to you, spirit of shame. You are not welcome in my life. I cast you out from me into the hands of Jesus. I put a cross between that spirit and myself. I put a cross between me and you, spirit. And I claim the blood of the living God over my life.
And I'm going to tell you something. That was so effective in my life that he just took, he took it all away, took all the shame of that moment away. And then it would be later that God would begin to show me other little things that would, had creeped in in that same kind of vein and shame that I needed to deal with. But I, what I did was I had a process. I had a process that we kind of lay out here on the other side. I had a process of recognition, authority, uh, demolish. And then I had a process of praise. I say I go right back in. Okay, God, I just want to praise you. Thank you, God. I've been set free. But now here's what I do in the praise. Remember that whatever that, that spirit did to affect me as a child and as an adult occupied, let's call it some airspace. Okay? Occupied some airspace in my head, okay, in my life. What I want to do now is I want to fill that airspace up with the right kind of stuff. So what I do is, Holy Spirit of God, in the place of shame, I ask you to fill me with acceptance. Fill me with joy. Fill me with confidence. Fill me with love. Show me that I'm not loved or accepted by people on the basis of appearance. That good? Isn't that good? Because, see, that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to make me think that I have to look a certain way to be loved or accepted by God or someone else. So I praise God, and now what I want to do is I want to go into protection mode. So now what I want to do is I want to make sure that that doesn't creep back into my life. You know, when we had the, um, what was it, um, the crusade and uh, Virginia Kramer got up and spoke, and you know she's like this big around, right? And she talked about uh, what do they call it, body demorphia or whatever it is. Is that right? And she always looks fat. She looks in the mirror, she's fat. I don't know how that's possible. I know how it's possible for me. I don't know how it's possible for her, right? But what happens is, see, there's something that's affected our mind. Our mind doesn't perceive things in the right kind of way. That's how people become anorexic or whatever, right? So they look, they see something totally different than what's really, really there. So what that means is a really skinny person who's obsessed with it will always see more than's there. And that's true in every one of us, right? You can look in the mirror and, you know, you just go, oh, my God. That's me? Because what I'm doing is I'm putting it through a filter of non-acceptance, and if I took that list on the other side, you know, you might take your list and you might just go through the process I did. It might be something in there you say, wow, that really helped me because that took me. But when you said that, it took me back. You know what's really significant about third grade? Anybody know? It is the point, it is the most impressionable age of your life. It is where all of your memory begins to hit a peak. You, you, read all, you read all research on this. It's amazing. That age bracket right there, more people will have struggles there because what's happened is they've reached this pinnacle in, in, in memory, and their brain is so fresh that it's the most impressionable time of your life, and you will remember things, the difficulties and the good, higher sometimes at those areas, more than any other areas. I did a little research on it, and I, I was, it was amazed when I started talking to people how many people would take it back to, like, second, third, or fourth grade. It was right in that little developmental stage right there. And it became an impression that began to take them down a road. 
I, I've had a, you know, I've, I, I've had a lot of discussions with, with guys and gals who are gay. Okay, I've got friends that are. Okay, all of them know exactly where I stand. Hey, I, it's not right. It's it's sin, but it you weren't born with it. I've yet to have a discussion with anyone who was gay who, when I got done talking to them, were convinced they were born that way. Because it doesn't, but, but you know, here, here's what else I found. I'm amazed how many of them traced it back to from my earliest memory. I remember this. I was just always had that. And I said, well, tell me what, when your earliest memory was. I can remember second, third grade. I go, really? Interesting, isn't it? Interesting. Science caught up and showed us that that's what it was. So take a process, and then what I would do is, on, if you turn on the back page one more time, then we're done tonight. Gosh, we've had enough, haven't we? <laughs> Talked about lust and sin and strongholds, and aren't you glad you're here tonight? Aren't you? Okay. All right. So what I would do here is I would just, I would go ahead and do this, and you can just make copies of this and, and you know, Feel free to use this with whoever you want. You know, it's got copyright on the top. What that means is you have the right to copy it, okay? If it has my copyright on it, you have the right to copy it, okay? So um, go ahead and just like you might put in there, like I might put in there shame, that I may or may have the following strong. I could put shame in there. I recognize their presence and exercise authority over them based on my relationship with Christ, and, and, I, and then I sign it. I literally just sign it. It might seem a little juvenile, Why do I really need to sign it? Yeah, sign it. I'm making a covenant with God. That's gone. Now I'm going into protection and battle mode. Okay? All right, any questions? I'm done. Helpful tonight or no? Yeah, was it good? Okay. And by the way, this, if you want to refer anybody to this, there's a... um, if you go on our website, there's a, there's a slide that has like a little iPad, and it's an iBook. So this, my book on prayer is on iBooks, and it has this on it, and it's free. So it's, there's no cost. It's a free iBook. You can download it uh, on your phone or on your iPad or whatever, or in your, you can use it on your computer, or you can look it right on our, webs, on our website. But it has this list on it. So if you just want to, hey, why don't you check this out? You can just send it to somebody, and, and it's fine, and um, that'll be helpful, Okay. Okay, well, hey, we got next week's our last week.